All right, it's good to be back with you this morning. Again, appreciate the opportunity. And we had a wonderful time uh, yesterday. Appreciate all that has taken place just for us to be here. And then also uh, just the good meal uh, that we had with Brother Miss Marshall uh, last night. I appreciate the comfortable room. Amen. I, that room has something in it that I've never seen before. It has a chair that massages you from your neck all the way down to your feet. That's where I slept last night, amen, so uh, I, uh, uh, during this time of being at home a little bit more, I, I did more yard work than I, I guess I've ever done in my life, and just uh, at the church, and just at home, and uh, developed uh, tendonitis, my wife's rolling her eyes right now, she said, here he goes again, amen, but I, I've got tendonitis, and got, got some back and neck troubles and everything, I'm getting old, and I understand that, uh, I'll tell you how old I am, I'm so old. Uh, that I remember uh, when you could go into a convenience store and you can get three candy bars, four bags of chips, and a couple Coca-Colas uh, for a dollar. Uh, but you can't do that anymore because they got security cameras everywhere. And it just, it just makes, it, <laughs> makes it tough to do that anymore, amen? So that's how old I am. So, uh, but anyway, I, I appreciate it. I, I, still, I, I still get excited about being able to fulfill God's call upon my life. I uh, Brother Wolfram, I, I, I still uh, pace the floor uh, of the motel room. My, my palms still get sweaty uh, every time I get to uh, preach God's Word. But I tell you, uh, when Brother Marshall uh, texted me uh, uh, maybe six weeks ago, maybe two months ago, and asked me if I had any availability and we put all this together, uh, boy, I just uh, I not only count a great honor, uh, but just uh, just uh, nervous, and I believe we ought to always be nervous when we open up God's book and preach to God's people. But boy, I, I I've enjoyed yesterday, been able to spend a little bit more time, I guess, than we ever have, uh, just specifically with Brother Miss Marshall, and just uh, just bragging on the goodness of the Lord, Amen. And God hadn't just been good to all of us; God's flat spoiled us rotten, hadn't He? And I'm thankful. Uh, for the goodness of the Lord. I want you to turn your Bibles this morning to the book of Zechariah, the book of Zechariah in chapter number 13. And it is good to have the visitors here, and uh, we understand this revival is scheduled Sunday through Friday. But those of you that are maybe visiting for the first time, I'd encourage you to come back next Sunday and hear the pastor of this church. Uh, I'm just the appetizer. I'm a very large appetizer. Uh, but he's the main course. You need to come hear the pastor, amen. So uh, next Sunday, let's all stand as we take reverence to the reading of the Word of God. Zechariah in chapter number 13. Zechariah in chapter number 13. Maybe if there's some of you that are having difficulty finding Zechariah, the very last book of the Old Testament is Malachi, and Zechariah is the book right before Malachi. Zechariah in chapter number 13. <clears throat> I'll read the entire chapter. The Bible says, In that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols out of the land and they shall no more be remembered. And also I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to pass out of the land. And it shall come to pass that when any shall yet prophesy, then his father and his mother that begat him shall say unto him, 
thou shalt not live, for thou speakest lies in the name of the Lord. And his father and his mother that begat him shall thrust him through when he prophesieth. And it shall come to pass in that day that the prophet shall be ashamed every one of his vision when he hath prophesied, neither shall they wear a rough garment to deceive. But he shall say, I am no prophet, I am an husbandman. For man taught me to keep cattle from my youth. And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer that those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. And I will turn mine hand upon the little ones. And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined. And will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name and I will hear them. I will say it is my people and they shall say, the Lord is my God. And Brother Wolfram, right where you're at, would you please open us up in prayer this morning? Please, sir. Amen. You may be seated. Allow me to lay a foundation this morning of what's going on here in the book of Zechariah, and then we'll get right into uh, making application to you and I this morning. You'll find that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, the Zechariah is the author of this book. and He gives purpose to give hope to God's people by revealing God's future deliverance through the Messiah. You'll find that he wrote this book to the Jews in Jerusalem who had returned from their captivity in Babylon and to God's people everywhere. The setting is the exiles had returned from Babylon to rebuild the temple, but they had been stalled because of the enemy frustrating the purpose of rebuilding the temple. Haggai and Zechariah, they confront the people with the task of rebuilding the temple and encourage them to complete what God had laid upon their hearts to complete. The key verses, I guess we could say, would be Zechariah chapter number 9, verse number 9 and 10. The Bible says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation. Lowly and riding upon an ass and upon the colt, the foal of an ass, and I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace unto the heathen. And his dominion shall be from sea even to sea, and from the river even to the ends of the earth. You'll find the place is Jerusalem. Zechariah had ministered to the small remnant of Jews who had returned to Judah to rebuild the temple and to rebuild the nation. Like Haggai, he encouraged them to finish rebuilding the temple 
But his message went far beyond those physical walls and the issues of rebuilding the temple. Zechariah told of the Messiah, the one whom God would send to rescue the people and to reign over all the earth. This prophetical book of Zechariah paints a beautiful picture of the coming Savior which was fulfilled in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. The rebuilding of the temple, he says, was just the first act in the drama of the end and the ushering in of the Messiah. Zechariah proclaimed a stirring message of hope to the ex-captives and the exiles. That message of hope was, the King is coming. And you'll find that Jesus is that Messiah that he preached about, the promised uh, great deliverer of Israel. And unlike Zechariah's listeners, you and I can look back at his ministry and his message. And as you and I would study this prophecy, we will see details of Christ's life, which were written 500 years before their fulfillment. I would encourage any Bible student to read this book in its entirety and stand in awe of a God that always keeps His promises. Back to chapter number 13 here this morning. You'll find this chapter pictures the final days of earth as we know it. For God's new era to begin, there must be a cleansing of evil and it must be abolished. Therefore, idols will be cut off and false prophets will be ashamed of themselves and will no longer try to deceive God's people. In the latter part of chapter number 13 and verse number 7, you'll find that just before the arrest of the Lord Jesus Christ, he quoted from this verse referring to, to his disciples. Jesus knew beforehand that his disciples would scatter once he was arrested. In verse number 8 and 9 of this chapter, you'll find that two-thirds of the land will be cut off and only one-third will remain. A remnant will remain. A remnant is just a small part of the entire whole. And throughout the history of Israel, whenever the whole nation seemed to turn against God, God said that a righteous remnant still trusted and followed Him. Zechariah tells us, that this remnant of believers were refined like silver and gold through the fire of their difficult circumstances. And can I say to this morning, I don't know about you, but I want to be determined to be a part of God's remnant, that small part that will be obedient to God regardless of what the rest of the world does. I want to say, I want to be a part of that remnant, amen. And I want you to look at Zechariah chapter 13, and I want you to look at verse number 1. And this is what I want to preach on this morning. Zechariah chapter 13 and verse number 1. The Bible says in that day, here it is, there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. Zechariah said, there shall be a fountain. You'll find that this fountain is a picture of a fountain that is similar to the never-ending stream flowing out of the temple in Ezekiel. You'll find that the fountain is used in Scripture to symbolize God's forgiveness. 
In, in John 4, Jesus tells us of his living water that satisfies completely. And can I say this morning that uh, th- this world understands that we talked about in the Sunday school hour, that empty void that we have inside of us. And drugs and strong drink and fast living may bring fun and excitement for a little while, but it never satisfies completely. It always wears off until they need stronger drugs and stronger drink and to the point that they wrecked and ruined their lives and the privilege of having this open fountain it fills that void that every man has inside of them and every man woman boy and girl must stop by this fountain before they stand before the God of heaven every person they must come before God and realize that I am unholy and God is holy I'm a sinner but he's the sinless one I'm dirty, but he can cleanse me through his blood. I'm unrighteous, but thank God he is the righteous one. This fountain was not only to the house of David, but also to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. A step further, Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse number 16, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, this fountain was for all. It was for everyone. It was for anyone to be cleansed from their uncleanness. This was God's divine order. My favorite verse of the entire Bible, Romans chapter 10, verse number 13, that says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm glad that word whosoever, it doesn't have any exclusions. It doesn't have any exceptions. Thank God, no matter how dark the stain or how deep the sin this fountain can cleanse us from that sin understand this morning Jesus Christ died on Calvary not as a martyr but to provide the only way for cleansing us of our sin you see everyone in this room this morning stand in need of this fountain of forgiveness every single one of us in this room have the same condition You understand everybody in this room, most if not all in this room will not come down with the condition that is across our land this morning. I'm not even going to mention the the, the title of it, but you know what I'm talking about. Everyone will not come down with that condition, but every single one of us have the same condition, and that condition is sin condition. Whether you're a sinner lost and undone without the blood applied to the doorpost of your heart, or you're a sinner that has been saved by the grace of God, Because we still live in this flesh and we need forgiveness of this fountain to cleanse us, to put us back in sweet fellowship with the God of heaven. I'm glad once we're saved by the grace of God, we'll never lose that relationship. But my friend, you can lose that fellowship and that fountain cleanses us to put us back in fellowship with God. And for the next few minutes, I want to preach on that subject. There is a fountain. There's three things in this scripture I see about this fountain. I want you to look at them with me this morning. The Bible says in verse number 1, In that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Look what it says. For sin and for uncleanness. Number one truth I see about this fountain, this fountain is a cleansing fountain. This fountain is a cleansing fountain. 
As we said, everyone in this room has a condition this morning. And that condition I'm talking about is not an alcoholic condition. It's not a drug condition. You see, some in this room have never tasted liquor. Some have never tasted drugs. But every one of our condition is the same. It's a sin condition. We mentioned it in Sunday school. The reason that you're a sinner, the reason that I'm a sinner, is because when Adam broke that commandment in the Garden of Eden, that penalty was not only added to Adam's life, but it was added to every man, woman, boy, and girl. From that day to this day, we're all sinners. Those of you that have children here this morning. You understand you don't have to teach your child how to do wrong. You have to teach your child how to do right. Why? Because we're born sinners and it's our nature to do wrong. And the only way that we can be right is to be right in the eyes of God through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This sin cannot be washed away from the baptismal pool. This sin cannot be erased by joining the church. This sin cannot be taken away because of the longevity of sobriety. This sin cannot be taken away because of what your name means to society. My friend, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And the only way the filthiness of our sin can be cleansed as we have to come by this fountain I'm talking about this morning, the fountain at the cross of Calvary. There was only one that could die for the sin of man, and that was the perfect Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Mine and my wife's story, our testimonies are completely different. And again, I say this, I don't say any of my past life before I met the Lord. I don't say any of that to bring any kind of glamour to sin. I want my life to bring honor and glory to God. But I grew up in a family that I that definitely was faithful to church when I was a young boy up until I was about 10 years old. I'd be, I was in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I was in re, revival services. It wasn't anything unusual to see my mom and dad uh, reading the Bible around the kitchen table when I was a young boy. My dad would even drive a church van around the community and pick up young people around the community that couldn't come to church any other way unless transportation went by to pick them up. And I had what I would consider a pretty God-fearing family back then in those days. But fast forward just a little bit. To when, I was at, uh, uh, when I was 10 years old, our family uh, moved to the Memphis, Tennessee area because my dad got transferred in his company that he was working for. And when we moved to Memphis, our family got settled in our new home. And uh, my sisters and I, we got settled in our new school. And my parents uh, got settled in their new jobs. But one thing we never got settled in, we never got settled in a new church. And you know exactly what happens if you're in church uh, once in your life and you fall out for one reason or another. Satan gets a stronghold in that family. And it's just a slippery road to the road of sin. And the Dallases were no exclusion of that. At 13 years old, I began to play on the junior varsity football team. And I began to hang out with friends that definitely were not pleasing to my mom and dad. Those friends had activities that I'd never been around in my life. My parents didn't smoke cigarettes, but their parents did, and they would smoke. They would steal their parents' cigarettes, and I would smoke along with them. My parents didn't drink liquor, but their parents did. They would steal their parents' liquor bottle, and I would drink along with them. They would begin to steal money out of their mom and dad's pocketbook to feed the habits that they were creating in their life, and I too began to steal money out of my mom and dad's pocketbook to feed the habits that I had in my life. And at 14 years old, I found myself in the first drug rehab that I would ever go to called Parkwood Hospital in Olive Branch, Mississippi. 
And I remember that day just like it was yesterday and sitting in a conference room there and my mom and dad sitting across the table from me, a psychiatrist sitting next to, uh, next to me and that psychiatrist began to tell my mom and dad how if they were to sign the dotted line there, how I would have to live in that rehab for 30 days and at least once a day, sometimes two times a day, get up and say, my name is Chris Dallas. I'm a dope addict and alcoholic. And obviously tears streaming down mama's face, but only the second time in my life I'd ever seen my dad cry was there that day. My dad looked at me and said, Chris, he said, if you promise us you'll quit hanging out with the crowd you're hanging out with and you promise us that you'll quit doing the things you've been doing, we'll let you come back home, but if you can't promise us that, then you're going to have to stay here. And as a rebellious 14-year-old punk, I looked across the table at my dad there that day and I said, I hate you and I never want to see you again. That was two weeks before Christmas there that year and I remember when Christmas morning rolled around, I was sitting in a, a, a large room with about 50 or 60 other drug-addicted teenagers. And I began to see their moms and dads on that Christmas morning walk down the hallway with Christmas presents in their arms for their kids. And I didn't say it outwardly, but I said it inwardly. I said, there's no way in the world that my mom and dad are going to come and visit me after the way I talked to them. Before that thought even exited my mind, my mom and dad were walking down the same hallway with Christmas presents in their arms. And there that day I began to make promises after promises after promises that I'd quit hanging out with the crowd I was hanging out with and I'd quit doing the things I've been doing if they would just let me come back home. But you understand those were just verbal promises. There wasn't a difference in here. And from the time I was 14 years old to the time I was 22 years old, I went through five of those drug rehabs and in and out of jail. My life was absolutely a complete mess. At 22 years old, I got word that my mom and dad were going on a weekend vacation down south and Arkansas and as soon as they left town I went over to their house and busted down the door and stole everything I could get my hands on in order to feed the habits that I had in my life. And that was on Friday and Friday, Saturday and Sunday in my mind I was the life of the party. I was the most popular. Boy I had a pocket full of money and a pocket full of what the world had to offer. But Monday morning come rolling around the money was gone. The things that I'd bought was gone. The friends were nowhere to be found. And I pulled back up to my mom and dad's house and I just acted like nothing had happened. My dad met me out in the middle of the driveway and he said, Chris, he said, I've already been down to the police station today inside the restraining order where you can't even come within 100 yards of the house. And he said, but I'm going to give you 15 minutes to get inside the house, get your stuff, get out of here, and never set foot back on our property. And he said, as of today, he said, this is no longer your house and we're no longer your parents. I got in my car there that day and I began to go to those friends' house that I thought were my friends and began to knock on their door and began to ask them if I could have a place to stay for a night or two and all they want to know is how much money do you have and how much dope do you have. And when I didn't have either one, they didn't have a place to stay for me either. And I realized there that day the ones that I was treated like my worst enemies, my mom and dad, were in reality my best friends. I got in my car there that day, didn't have any gas, didn't have any money, didn't know where I was going, didn't know, long, didn't know how long it was going to take me to get there. And I began to go down I-55 South there in Mississippi and I passed by a little town called Hernando, Mississippi. And my car began to spit and sputter. And I was able to go about a mile further to a rest area about a mile south of Hernando. And that's where I lived in my car, just as a drug-addicted bomb in a car that was out of gas. My mom found out I was there a few weeks later. And she'd come to pick me up. And she drove me clear across the other side of Memphis to a suburb of Memphis called Bartlett, Tennessee. And she made the arrangements for me to live in a halfway house for dope addicts and alcoholics. When I got out of my mom's car there that night, what she told me, I guess I'll never forget this side of eternity. 
She said, Chris, she said, you're not going to be able to get in touch with your dad and I. She said, we've had to change our phone number because we've been getting harassing phone calls from dope dealers that you owe money to. And sure enough, I didn't hear from my mom and dad for about six months. And in order to live in that halfway house, I had to go to AA meetings every night and get up and say, my name is Chris Dallas. I'm a drug addict and alcoholic. And on one particular Sunday night, August 16, 1998, I was walking out of that halfway house about to head to an AA meeting and the phone rang. Now, I don't know if it was before cell phones, but it was before I had a cell phone. It was back in the day when the phone was on the wall. How many of you remember those days, amen? And if you needed uh, privacy, you had about a 150-foot cord on there, amen? And I went and answered the phone, and when I did, it was the sweetest voice I'd heard in some time. It was my mama. And mama said, Chris, she said, your sisters and I have found a church that we've been going to, and we'd like for you to come out tonight. And I immediately agreed to go there that night, not to hear about God, not to learn about the Lord. I simply agreed to go just so I could manipulate my family and please them that I was in church, and maybe they'd be pleased enough that I was in church to let me get out of that halfway house and come home to live with them. That night I got to church, I walked inside the church, and I realized very quickly there was somebody there more powerful than I was. There was somebody there more powerful than the crowd I was running around with and the things I was putting in my body. The preacher didn't even preach on salvation that night. He preached on how to get out of financial bondage. And I was in financial bondage, but I realized quickly I was in even in worse bondage than that. I was in the bondage of sin. And there was something going on in my heart, even on a message on financial bondage. I didn't know what it was called then, but I did sure know what it's called this morning. It was called good old Holy Ghost conviction. And there was a man at invitation time, and my hands were gripping the back of the pew, and I wanted to go forward, but I, I just didn't know what to do. There was a man that came and stood beside me at invitation time, and he put his arm around me and brought me up real close to him. He said, you don't know who I am, but I've been praying for you. And when he said those words, this old cold, stony heart began to melt because I didn't think anybody in the world cared about Chris Dallas and that night he shared the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that night I bowed my head I bowed my heart called on God to save my soul and thank God that night I realized there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains amen my wife's story is completely different a cigarette has never touched my wife's lips Somebody say amen right there. We'll shout the ex-dope addicts out, but we won't, we won't shout somebody out that to live life right, amen. I thank God for all these young people I see across this room, amen. Can I say young people live for God? I've had more fun in my sleep as a Christian than I ever did awake as a lost sinner on my way to hell, amen. A liquor bottle has never touched my wife's lips. You understand, my, the only time my wife has ever been to jail is when she went with some other ladies from the church to the jail to tell them about Jesus. She grew up going to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, revival services. She'd go to youth camps and youth conferences. She was on a mission trip to Haiti as a teenage girl when she got the word that her dad had died. My wife grew up in church her entire life. But as a 17-year-old girl in a revival service just like this, there was a preacher that got up one night, an evangelist that got up one night, and he preached on hell. And he began to point through the crowd. He said, I didn't ask you if you was a church member. I asked you if you were to die today, would you go to heaven or hell? And he began to point through the crowd. If you die today, would you die and go to heaven or would you die and go to hell? If you were to die today, would you die and go to heaven or would you die and go to hell? If you were to die today, would you die and go to heaven or die and go to hell? 
And my wife realized for the first time in her life as a 17-year-old girl that no matter how good she was on the outside, she still had sin on the inside. And because of her sin on the inside, she would stand before a holy God one day and still go to that place called hell. My friend, you understand? When we stand before God like all of us, we'll stand before God. It's not about the good outweigh the bad. It's that we all stand guilty before Him. The day of salvation. But I'm glad this fountain is a cleansing fountain. Amen. Look at number two. Look at verse number six and seven. Look at Zechariah 13. Look at verse number six and seven. The Bible says, And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? And he shall answer those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. And I will turn mine hand upon the little ones. Second truth I see about this fountain in the Scripture, not only is it a cleansing fountain, but number two, this fountain is a crucified fountain. When Adam sinned the garden, his penalty was death and hell. And the payment of death had to be paid not only for Adam, but for all of mankind's sin. And if Adam or any one of us would have died for our own sin, the only hope that you and I would have is that place called hell. There was only one who could die for the sins of man. That was the perfect, sinless Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. In December, we have what we call the Christmas season. We set a time aside to celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. But may we all be reminded this morning, the Lord Jesus Christ left the very portals of heaven to be born in a virgin's womb for one purpose and one purpose only, and that was to die in our stead on the cross of Calvary so we wouldn't have to die and go to that place called hell. Can I say I love reading about the miracles of Christ just as much as the next person. I love reading the miracles of how he allowed the blind eyes to see and the deaf ears to hear and the lame to walk. I love the miracle of how, how, that, how Jesus took that little lad's lunch with five loaves and two fishes and fed the great multitude of people. I love that miracle of that woman that had the issue of blood for 12 years and somehow, someway, fought her way through the crowd and touched the hem of the Savior's garment and she was made whole immediately that very moment. Let me stop right there and give you a side note. That woman was not healed because she touched the Savior's garment. She was healed because of the God in the garment, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And you understand, I love reading about the miracles, but my friend Jesus Christ did not come to perform miracles. He came for one purpose and one purpose only, and that was to be crucified on the cross of Calvary and shed his blood for my sin and for your sin. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, verse number 5 and 6, that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. When they beat, it, when they beat the Lord Jesus Christ across the back with the cat of nine tails, he did that for you, and he did that for me. When they nailed his hands and his feet to the cross of Calvary, he did that for you and me. When they plucked the beard from his precious face, he did that for you and me. When they planted the crown of thorns upon his head, he did that for you and me. 
And in all reality, my friend, Jesus Christ paid our hell so we wouldn't have to go there. Spurgeon said this. He said, morality may keep you out of jail, but it takes the blood of Jesus to keep you out of hell. It's the crucified fountain. Not only is it a cleansing fountain, not only is it a crucified fountain, but number three, and lastly, look at verse number eight and nine with me. The Bible says, and it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. <clears throat> now I will bring the third part through the fire, and will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name, and I will hear them. I will say, it is my people, and they shall say, the Lord is my God. <clears throat> three truths about this fountain. Not only, number one, is it a cleansing fountain. Number two, it's a crucified fountain. But number three, as I read this scripture, I see this is a continual fountain. Zechariah said, and I by no means would ever change the word of God. Zechariah prophesied this 500 years before its fulfillment. Zechariah said there shall be a fountain. But I've read the rest of the story and I can testify there is a fountain. Amen. You understand Zechariah prophesied these words in this book 500 years before their fulfillment. Zechariah told of the coming Messiah in the cleansing fountain where forgiveness could be found 500 years before Christ would come. Can I say Jesus did come? Jesus was born. Jesus died. and Jesus shed His blood to cleanse and forgive man of sin. But that fountain of blood that he shed was not only for sinful men that were upon the earth in that day 2,000 years ago, but that fountain has been flowing and forgiving and cleansing men of sin from that day until this day and will continue to cleanse men of their sin until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, it's a continual fountain to free the center of their condemnation, their penalty of sin must be paid for. It can only be paid by one way, and that's through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But number two, and I hope that the Lord would allow me to help somebody here this morning, it's also a continual fountain to forgive the saint of their sin. I guess one of the, I've got many, but one of the shortcomings that I've had as far as an evangelist is going into a church and I look across a crowd and think that everybody just has it all put together and there are no problems and there are no uh, difficulties and there are no heartaches. And nobody has any past mistakes or past failures or past blunders, but God gave me victory over that. And I understand in all the churches I've ever preached in, including this church right here, every single one of us have past mistakes. Every single one of us have past failures. Every single one of us have past blunders of life that we wish that could be absolutely erased away. Can they say as far as, God, as far as God's concerned, they are. There's some in this room, and no doubt in my mind, in a crowd this size, there's somebody that's still holding on to their past, and you feel like you're limited in what you can do for God. My friend, it doesn't give us a green light to sin, 
But if we're ready to get that sin right and be right before God, the Bible says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He was born in the late 1700s. He ministered through the late 1800s. Evangelist Charles Finney preached on the latter part of 1 John 1-7 under a revival tent one night. That verse says, The blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. One night a stranger asked Finney to walk home with him, and against all advice, Finney did. Ushering Finney into the rear of a building, he locked the door and pocketed the key. Don't be afraid, the man said. I just want to ask you some questions. Do you believe what you preach tonight? I most certainly do, Finney replied. The man said that we're in the back of a saloon and I am the owner. Mothers come in here and they lay their babies on the counter and they beg me not to sell liquor to their husbands. I turn a deaf ear to their cries. When a man leaves here, we see to it that he is well under the influence. More than one man has been killed on the railroad tracks after leaving here. Can God forgive a man like me? The man asked. Mr. Finney, the evangelist, said, I have only one authority. That is, the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. The stranger wasn't satisfied yet and asked, if the man doesn't spend all of his money on liquor, We take him to the gambling hall and fleece him of his last dollar with marked cards. The man asked, can God forgive a man with a heart like that? I have only one authority, Finney said. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. The stranger still wasn't finished. He said, across the street is my wife and my daughter. Neither of them have heard a kind word from me in over five years. Their bodies bear the marks of my brutal attacks. Can God forgive a man like that? Evangelist Charles Finney lowered his head and said, Sir, you painted one of the darkest pictures that I've ever seen. But still I have one authority. and That is the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Can I say the story goes with that man got saved by the grace of God. His life was rearranged there that night when he got saved. And can I say on the set of my voice, either before salvation or maybe some even after salvation, you've made some mistakes, you've got some failures, you've got some blunders along the way. I'm glad that it's still a continual fountain. And I'm glad today to testify that fountain is still cleansing, it's still flowing. Thank God it's still forgiving. And I stand on one authority this morning, the blood of Jesus. Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. I'm glad there is a fountain this morning. I ask you this morning, have you ever stopped by that fountain? Have you ever come to the realization, I'm not talking about in your mind, I'm talking about believing in your heart, receiving. Have you ever come to that place where you realized I'm a sinner? And because of my sin, the penalty for my sin is death and hell. And the only way I can be forgiven of that sin and escape that place called hell is not through that baptismal pool. It's not by joining the local church. 
not be being loyal to what the pastor preaches. But the only way I can be forgiven of that sin and escape the fires of hell is by the shed blood on the cross of Calvary and trusting and believing and receiving the finished work on the cross of Calvary. If there's never been a definite time and a definite place that that's happened in your life, my friend, I encourage you, let today be the greatest day in your entire life. I've had some good days in my life. It was a good day when I married that pretty girl right there. It was a good day when I met my mom and dad in an old-fashioned altar. My parents put their arm around me as I asked for forgiveness the thousandth time and it seemed like in three years that I've been saved for the first time in my life, I really meant it that day when I asked them an old-fashioned altar. They put their arms around me and they said, Chris, we forgive you. That was a good day. It was a good day when I surrendered to preach this book. But there never has been or there never will be a greater day than the day of August 16, 1998 when Jesus Christ came into my heart and saved me by the grace of God. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed all across the building.